0: Welcome back to another episode. Harrison, oh. you're really stiff. Do Sorry. a proper introduction
1: with me. Go on. One, two, three. Go. Welcome back to another episode of Life of Brian. That's better. Now you're getting the hang of it. We are proudly brought to you by Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies. Now, Brian, this is episode two. We intro why and and all the reasons- You're very
0: formal today. Why are you so formal?
1: Because we've got business to do, mate.
0: We've got business to do. Get on with it.
1: So I wanted to reintroduce a little bit about why you want to do this podcast and why I want to do it as well. It's- A simple fact of I find there's a massive difference between BT, the commentator, and Brian Taylor, the the man, the father, the guy at home who's, you know, cuddling Hansel and speaks to him like a little puppy dog you know the guy in the shed who's completely OCD it's different to the commentator who's high octane high pressure very what um, do you think I'm going to go home going and he gets the ball up the half forward flank and over the top of you, go. you think I'm going to be doing that all day but this is what I mean some of the listeners might not realise that you're a totally different person when you step off air no you're very emotional no, I'm on just air ti-
0: I'm just tired I've just had enough I've just had enough of talking about football when I walk in the door at home and you go who won today and I go, who played? It's because I have then switched off. My brain is so small that I don't have a storage uh, access unit in it, and so I have no room to store any game. So the moment the game finishes, I switch off and I drain my brain so that I know how to get home. I remember how to get home.
1: Yes, but now you know there's a bit of a softening of Brian I've seen in the last five years, and I want to harp on that as well. So you're, softening you're, of you're, Brian, you're what a gr- load of crap! You're a grandfather now. You've got little Noah. Um, yeah. You love. Noah, you love your little dog Hansel, so you're not big barge, and the, you know, the bustling full forward for Collingwood and Richmond. You're a, no, a just, bit of a
0: softy now. I just said to you, it's not about softening or being softy. It's about me having a rest when I go home. I'm not Of course I'm not the commentator when I go home because that's a high octone um, involvement and, and and takes a lot of effort to stay to stay alert and stay at the at the broadcast level if you like, as distinct from a home level. So yeah, you're probably right when I go home I I, I can I, I go and sit in my shed for hours. Hours and hours. And sometimes I just sit there and I just look or I think. I don't actually do anything. Um, Sometimes I fiddle with a piece of wood or a tool or sharpen some drill bits or, you know, um, service my chainsaws or whatever it is. Something where I don't have to talk because talk is what I do for a living. And you get sick of talking. You get, I get sick of hearing my own, uh, my my own self. I get sick of hearing my own opinions on footy. So sometimes you just want to com- get completely away from it. And uh, that's why I've, I have learnt the moment I walk out the gates at the MCG or Marvel or wherever it is to completely switch off to the point. Like I said to you before, when I get home and you say. How was the game today? And I said, like, oh, I can't remember. I actually can't remember because I've I've moved on from that point. I've moved on to the next game.
1: Yep. Well, enough of the softening of Brian. There's, um, there's
0: no softening <laughs> of Brian. You sound, you sound like Damien Barrett and all those other wankers. There is no softening. It's just a natural occurrence.
1: All right. We'll talk a bit of footy then. So there's been a stack of retirees this week, and I'm sure there will be more to come. What do you think of the um, retirement announcements?
0: When did it become a thing? That every person that announces their retirement wants a retirement game and wants a huge uh, press conference send off. When did that happen? When, is this part of, this is part of your culture that your your group so of people d- and age group are creating this this culture of, this is you, everyone gets a ribbon. You get a ribbon for finishing over the line. Instead of getting the first, second or third ribbon, it's part of this culture. Now, I've got no problems with Trent Cochin. I've got no problems with Isaac Smith because they are two players that have achieved greatness in our game. No problems at all. You know, 300-game players in the case of Cochin, I think pretty close to 300 games for Isaac Smith and four premierships. That deserves some hoo-ha and some, uh, some, you know, going out on a nice note. But as for the others, give me a break. It just why does it need to be public? Uh, I seem to remember 10, 15 years ago that w- when people retired they they just retired quietly. There was no fanfare about what they did and off into the sunset they walked. Now it's um, it just appears to me now that it doesn't matter whether you've played 50 games or 350 games. it is an expectation that your club give you number one, a uh, a platform being a press conference to announce your retirement and number two, more often than not, the players are almost demanding a send-off game, a farewell game. And I think, you know, you've got to really deserve that. And you, the only ones that deserve that sort of thing are those like Koch and Isaac Smith at the very, very top of their game.
1: I think that's a little bit stiff. Don't you think that being able to just announce your own retirement is a privilege and an honour in itself? Many yeah. players don't announce even get, get that.
0: To, uh, announce it to your family and friends and move on and go on to the next
1: stage in your life. But many players just aren't offered a contract and therefore they're delisted at the end of their... Their careers, and you know That's these, the pe- these people have had it, announcing your retirement says volumes about the, your career and what you've done, doesn't it? Listen, not?
0: Harrison, don't try and stiffen me up and and get me to say what you want me to say because I ain't going down that track. Far too many people are getting press conferences and send-offs. I'm sick of hearing about retired players just retire and leave, please.
1: All right. Well, the, all these players who are retiring, on well, some might be delisted or not yep. offered contracts. They're now going through a transition from football to uh, yes. real life. Yeah. And it is real life afterwards. You, um... Your your era was a little bit different. You had part-time work. You're a plumber. Yeah. So what was your transition like? So this is one of the great
0: myths in football. You hear it all the time that when you come and play football with a team, the club will look after you and they will guarantee you lifelong success. No, they only guarantee you an ability for success within the confines of the club during your period of a player. Once you leave as a player, you are cut free. Don't for one minute think out there that Richmond are going to be hanging Hanging on to Trent Cotchin or Geelong hanging on to Isaac Smith or Luke Shuey or whoever it is. You are cut. And I hope for those players that they have used the tools to their advantage. That is, the people within their club, they've made really solid contacts with them so that that can become the next stage of their life because I'm telling you now, it does not continue. It's a sudden shock and halt for all footballers whether you've played 20 games or whether you've played 300 games. The club can't continue to support you. Otherwise, they'd have players lined up forever. They've got to move on to the next group of players and support them. So I've always thought and you mentioned myself, i was a plumber. I hated plumbing. You know, it was a hard job, a really hard job. I admire those that do it. It's a tough job and playing sport at the elite level at the same time. So when I was about 26, I I said, what do I really want to do? And I was still playing footy at this particular time. And I thought, no, I want to be in the media. And so there was a stage at Collingwood where Lee Matthews and all of the administrators there would say, listen um, to all of the players out there, don't do any media. If you have to do any media, make sure you don't tell them the truth. Um, Let's stay away from the media. And I'm going. Hang on a minute. If I'm a plumber and I want to be in the media, I have to prove that I can handle, uh, you know, talking um, reasonably succinctly. So. I'm going to accept every job that comes my way. When someone comes to me at the club says, do you want to do an interview with Rex Hunt or do you want to do do an interview with Nick Butler at Channel 10 or whoever it is? I'm saying yes, because I need every opportunity, number one, to expose to people that I can do it uh, and that I'm reasonable at it and that perhaps there's a future in it for me. So I did the opposite to what the club said and they were filthy on it at the time. I took on every interview. And if I hadn't, because I wasn't a champion player, I wasn't a Brownlow medalist. I wasn't a premiership player. I was just a plotter, so I had to find another way to get there, and and uh, and I found that through preparing myself before I retired. So what I would say to all of these guys, is I hope you've been using the club contacts in the past five years before your retirement, so that you can have a a bit of a a bit of a lift up into into what it is that you want to do next, because the club aren't going to help you aren't going to help you get there. That is for sure, and there's no doubt that I used the opportunity while I was still playing to ensure the next chapter of my life. I'm telling you now, players don't understand that the chapter ends so, so suddenly, so suddenly. You are basically, once you say goodbye to the players and you walk out the door, that's it. There's no coming back. You're done, you're cut. You are no longer part of the inner sanctum and and all of those sponsors That used to come to you After the game And piss in your pocket About how well you'd done They aren't going to be there anymore They're gone too Because they've moved on To the next star in the making And uh, and that's what they do As as close supporters So I just hope That all of the guys Are retiring have, um, have got their shit together and, and have used The club's resources To advance their next chapter In football Because the next chapter In football Is the hardest one That they are ever Going to encounter The footy part was easy because it was natural for them. Now they've got to go out and work. Now they've got to go out and be a butcher. Now they've got to go out and be um, a developer or whatever it is, and that is going to be really, really tough for them unless they've earned some great support along the way.
1: And often at those stages in life, those players might have families, mortgages, yeah. potential multiple mortgages. Well, they go from earning upwards of $400,000 a year to potentially a hundred or less. It's well, yeah. I know you put it in perspective, but it's pretty it's four, hard. 400000
0: to $800,000 a year those players have earned for the last 15, 20 years, and all of a sudden there's nothing. There's nothing. You tell me. You tell me. Even even with someone like Trent Conchin and Isaac Smith and Luke Shuey and these guys that have Die. You tell me where they're going to go and get a job that's going to pay them 800000 you know, 600000 $700,000. is not reality. There are very few jobs out there in the market that are going to secure the amount of money they earned as footballers. I would suggest that a normal job out there that those guys could go and do, they might earn themselves, uh, you know, $200,000 if they're lucky. That's really lucky. If they're really lucky. And, and they've got to work hard to do that unless they go and open their own business or something. So, you know, so, just imagine that. So you're earning $600,000 a year. For the last ten years, and all of a sudden, it's gone. It's zero, zero dollars, and you have to walk into someone's office and you have to start selling cars to earn one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. It's a, it's a tough tough thing. And you've got to prepare while you're playing football. You must prepare while you're playing football, not think
1: about it at the end. So you said you're a bit of a plotter, which you weren't a plotter at all. But did you get the the retirement and the press conference and the big announcement? I got nothing.
0: I I retired, I think, when I was 27 or 28. I got nothing. No retirement, no press conference, no lap of honour, no farewell game, absolutely nothing. And guess what? That's exactly what I deserved because that is reserved for, that's reserved for Cochin. That's Reserved for Kevin Bartlett, Nathan Buckley, the superstars, the legends, Wayne Carey's of our game. That's not reserved for people like me who played 100 and I don't know 146, 47 games and kick 500 goals. That's not that's not what I should get. Yep. So I'm I'm ruling myself out of that. I didn't get any farewell game, and nor did I deserve one, and nor should half the players that are retiring now get the opportunity to go out like they are. Oh, well, there you go, BT. Everyone gets a ribbon in your in your um in your generation, you. You know, you you are producing. You're part of the uh, you know save the world uh, uh, mob, and uh, you are producing these sort of people that everyone feels entitled. Now, you are you're an entitled little shit as well. You you really <laughs> are, and you need to get out there and start living by yourself. I'm going to tell Tanya. To so stop paying your bloody phone bill. Stop paying your She's petrol not. bill. She is.
1: I, I saw a petrol card the other day and I saw your name on it. That's fake news. Um, so BT, there you have it. He is anti-retirement. So if you want a lap of honor, if you want to be celebrated after your Make career- Make sure you're bloody good. Don't retire. Yeah. Make sure you're good. That's what I would say. Yeah. So moving on now- um, yep. What are we going to talking about now? We are talking about- So you had a little bit of surgery this week. You had your carpal tunnel released. I don't yeah, know if that's what you call wrist, it. just a
0: little wrist thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. So- during the week, you said, oh, Harrison, can you take me to the hospital? And I said, do I have to? Is it that's actually by the important? Way, I love anaesthetics. Yes. And Ooh, that's what this story is sleep. about. It's
0: best sleep of all time. We were
1: driving to the hospital. I was taking her from Fitzroy to Hawthorne. Yeah. And we we're driving down, I think, Studley Park Road. Yes, we And were. there's a hospital there on the left as you come into the, the Q Junction. Yep. You were telling me a story about how you were yeah. hooked on I, morphine.
0: I said to you, that's Vimy House Hospital. That's where a lot of footballers used to go because there used to be a lot of orthopedic surgeons that would operate out of that particular hospital. And- uh, um, and I said I had an experience there one day where I had my knee, I had a reconstruction of my knee and I was in hospital and it was many, many years ago but it was one of When the, you were playing? When I was playing, I was one of the first, um, I was one of the first people to trial the intravenous uh, morphine continuous feed <laughs> I, I Remember, the details are very hazy because it was, number one, it was a long time ago and number two, number two, I was off my head but I was one of the guys that, you know, trialed this intravenous, normally they would come and give you a, a, a needle every few hours, and that would cure the pain. But this was going to be fed in intravenously. And I remember day one was great. I was sitting up in bed and couldn't feel a thing, and I'm feeling very happy about myself. And, you know, I'm living in a house just down the road, a, a mate of mine, Steve Peary and Andy Preston, two footballers that I was playing with at Richmond at the time. They were sharing the house with me, and, um, you know, uh, it was all going swimmingly, and they were looking after things. And on day two, I started to feel a bit um, a bit, a bit, a bit ordinary, and, you know, things are starting to happen, and I, you know, I, I, I was imagining things. And then on day three, the walls are starting to collapse, and I'm seeing these guys standing at the end of my bed. One jangling my car key, saying, "I've got your car, Brian." Another guy over there saying, "Brian, I'm wearing all your clothes." Full-scale hallucinations uh, Brian, I've happening. Got, I've got your checkbook here. I'm uh, I'm going to do all this, and and I'm a hallucinating. The walls are falling in, and everything's caving in. The TV's like a monster; it's trying to eat me. And I'm thinking, "What the hell is going on?" And I'm and I'm just off my
1: head where are the nurses at day this three? point oh, i
0: don't know they just it's thought just off. keep bloody getting this shit into him he's going he's going good he's not complaining about any pain you're right i wasn't complaining about pain because i was in another country uh, at the particular time and it was only only on i think about the third day that they realized that perhaps i'd been uh, od'd on this uh on the on the morphine the painkiller and
1: then they had to wean you off and, Is and, that and right? then i had to be
0: weaned off it and uh, get back to some sort of normality but that was horrific the walls were literally caving. In on me. And, That's incredible. Uh, and it was a, it was a, it was a horrible feeling. And and those bastards at the end of my bed with my keys and my clothes, and you know, wearing everything that I ever treasured, um, <laughs> while I could do nothing about it except uh, except dream in the hospital. So yeah, that was that was a memory as we drove past that particular hospital. You're a weirdo. A little bit weird.
1: Yeah. So I wonder how often that would happen with with, with nurses, and if they would experience this often. If if there is a nurse out there, I'm sure we've got potentially one. I know Katie Mara is listening in the UK. Hello, Caddy, if you've had an experience as a nurse with a overdose of morphine or some kind of anesthetic well, like that, I think that, it'd
0: be pretty hard to overdose now because I don't think they do it that way anymore. But anyway, we want to hear about it, so yeah. slide
1: into our DMs and let us know. I've
0: become much better with just the odd um, uh, Panadine Fort, which knock you out now, so I just take one of those. I, I, you probably shouldn't do that. All the other stuff I'm not on, but when You're I'm in pain, lot, I take a Panadine Fort. So anyway, that's it. So. Yeah. All right, moving Hurry on now, up, Harrison. What Come are, on. What do we got next? Oh, We've got our, we got our guest. He's been sitting here for bloody hours waiting and you just blurbling on about all this other nonsense crap. Uh, Shane Jacobson, it is. How are hey, you? Hey, mate. How are you? It's um, strange that I would catch up with you because you're just such a hard man to get hold of. Jeez, you are busy.
2: Yeah, I am. But you are a mate, so I was willing to do this. You can <laughs> how, hear how tired I am, but I, for you, I'll do it.
0: Uh, how, now, we met through a production that Channel 7 did called the uh, Full Monty. Full Monty. It was a weird thing.
2: You... Do we swear on this podcast?
0: Yeah, we can swear on this yeah, podcast. Behind the, scenes we Absolutely we af- behind
2: the scenes we affectionately called it cocks out for cancer <laughs> <laughs> because it really is what it was. As we know, the full Monty is That's just right. getting your gear off it and was it was to cancer. raise awareness for yeah. cancer. And the truth is if we're honest about it, that's what it was because that's why people watch.
0: So you ring me up and and you say, we'd like you to be on this show and I get all excited because thinking this is going to be great, Channel 7 production, I haven't done much, uh, you know, this sort of stuff. And then you say, but you've got to take your clothes
2: off and I'm 120 kilos and not feeling that great about myself. I wanted someone else roughly near my numbers. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: you said, don't worry about it. When you get them off, there'll be an explosion in front of your doodle and no one will see.
2: (laughs) If you remember. So they did. They had special effects. So we did. We had to get our kid off and I think everyone assumed, well, even even I did when they first spoke to me because I thought, well, they're not going to let us completely nude up on stage, but that's exactly what we did, hence the name The Full Monty. And um, uh, the and Todd McKenney choreographed. Yeah, yeah, he choreographed it. I yep. hosted it, but in the first show, I had to go on the journey with the rest with of us, yeah. us. And they said, "I said, but we're not going to be standing on stage fully nude in front of a room full of women, because there was a lot of women that obviously wanted to come and see it." Um, and they said, well, yeah, that's 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 the gig. And I said, I don't know if I want to stand on – well, I know for a fact I don't want to stand nude on a stage in front of thousands of women.
0: Pa- particularly next to Chris Smith, who's well, this
2: masculine male model. And Jet Kenny. Yes. Which we called Groovy Jesus because yes. he he's a groovy Jesus. <laughs> but, the, well, he, there you've got to where I was getting to. They said, we're going to have special effects, lighting that will blind them and and – of uh, pyro. Because
0: live audience as well as the TV audience.
2: Yeah, so there's cameras and eyes looking at us. But I realised what you realise, which is <laughs> no one's looking at us. I think I wanted to see Jet Kenny's penis. <laughs> <laughs> so there was Jet Kenny down the front, Chris Smith, supermodel, yeah. some other fit units. We had NRL players and I have, you know. Yeah, we did. And we had a lot of fit units there and – um and me and Brian, me and your dad had a chat going, we, we've got to get up the back. Yeah, up we, the back. We've got to get up the back. They don't want us down the front. If I'm down the front, they won't see anything up the back. So I've got to go up the back. But what we hadn't factored in.
0: And was, I have two issues, by the way. Number one, I don't want to be nude. Yeah, there's that. And number two, I can't dance because you had to dance. And I yeah, couldn't do either of those. That they were the only two things you had to do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was like me being asked to play football. It's like, what a waste of time. I can't play it. But, um. So we decided we'd go up the back. Remember we said, yeah. let's stay at the back. In fact, in fact, you kind of said to me, hey, I don't, I don't want to be down the front." And as you know, your dad's an imposing man, even as a friend. <laughs> and he said, I said, "Look, I'm going to have a chat to Todd. And he said, you, he said to me, you go and do that and you do that now." Yeah. <laughs> so I got us up the back, but what we hadn't factored in is they on TV, they can't show you doodle either. So the last shot they went with was a shot of a which a camera up the back of the stage looking behind us to the audience. Yeah. So there's one <laughs> Brian Taylor and one Shane Jacobson's massive massive asses front <laughs> and centre. Well, front and rear. Who was the
0: person that the fireworks were supposed to explode from the front
2: view yes. from the audience view,
0: and it was supposed to cover? Yes, uh, but it didn't explode. Jet Kenny. Jet so, Kenny. Yeah. And
2: he's. Um, his dear sister, who's no longer with us, and his mum were right. Were were right. Just was coincidence. It was pure coincidence. Mm. Landed in the front row. So Channel Seven gave all of us some seats. And I said to my wife, "Are you coming?" She went, "No, I don't want to see (laughs) on stage." My, oh, I don't be. think my wife came No, in. why no. would they? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then out of that, another, we went and did another show, which was, is that the greatest gig you've ever been? You've done some incredible things in, in this whole industry, probably more than any other actor across several different platforms. But we got invited as a result of the Full Monty to go and do this thing called, what was it called
2: again? Mates on a Mission. Mates on a Mission. So I don't even know if I've told you this, how that show came about. So there's, as we said, there's me, BT… Todd McKenny, like like we did, Chris we did Chris Smith, Sam Mack. was he in the one we did? Yes, uh, he was. Like there's a, a, a weird cross section of people, and on paper, like there was eight or ten of us. On paper, we shouldn't all get along. Yeah. When I say shouldn't, you know, you put ten people for you know ten people from any different walks of life and plug them into a room. Statistically, what Not three, three, yeah. three will get along, and the yeah. other seven you you'll go, yeah, he's all right, they're yeah. all right, but. Insanely, and I mean that, like we all really got along.
0: Yeah. The um, vibe was great. The I, chemistry. Yeah.
2: And yep. it was as in I was I was surprised, shocked. And I sat down, we had a dinner one night, all of us had a dinner, and I sat with one of the network execs and we were all laughing like we did seemingly the whole time, is what I remember. Yeah. And they said at the time, So you're all really getting along. I went, Yeah. And and she said, But really? And I went, Yeah. And she said, is that weird? I went, yeah, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> I said, I expected to not really get along with half of this room. Yeah. You know, the actor guy and a whole bunch of you yep. know, great sporting individuals and some other people, but everyone. Um, uh, Jonesy from Jonesy's Yes, there? that's Jones, right. Like from Jonesy and Amanda. Yeah. So anyway, we just all, I would say, became mates. And I keep in contact with a yep. lot of them, actually. Of them. I mean, you more than most, but a lot.
0: But it resulted in us going on this Mates on a Mission well, too. We went to Tokyo. Correct, to somewhere in Germany, can't remember the name of the town, and to Vegas.
2: Well, I've got to be careful how I explain this bit because, well, I'll just go with it, right? (laughs) She said, what do we do with this from here? And I said, it'd be disappointing to have to break up the band. Yeah. And she said, we can't send everyone. She said, what would you do? And I said, what about if we got a few of us and we went and did something to help things? My first name I came up with was Just Cause. But, like, it's a play on words. Just Cause. But we go and do a Just Cause, right? Yeah. And then they came up with Mates on a Mission and they said, who would you take? And I said, one of the men that makes me laugh the most, even when he's half not trying to be funny, is you, BT. (laughs) I said, it's just, BT is just, I don't know if he knows how funny he is, but he's inherently funny Todd, obviously, is, is a very close mate of mine. Yep. And, and And I said, Chris Smith, people love him. He's a yep. really good unit. We get along. I said, and I just gave a little list. And in the end- Plus,
0: they, he could tell us the Danny Minogue stories.
2: <laughs> not that we asked. <laughs> oh, look, he doesn't like to talk about that too no, much. he doesn't. Not too much. But if we, we found out for that dinner, out. strap yourself in. <laughs>
0: so we went bloody touring off around the world. It was, so we did 10 days in, in Japan, 10 days in Germany, and 10 days in Vegas. It was just a bloody absolute was a hoot. hoot, wasn't it?
2: Well, we rode you and me love motorbikes. We got to jump through a flaming hoop, and that's not me avoiding swearing, it was a hoop on fire.
0: Coached by the world's Robbie longest Madison. jump on a motorbike, Robbie, Robbie Madison. Mad- modern day evil Knievel.
2: And a bit nuts. Yeah. And a great bloke. A bit nuts. Well, you've got to be to do that, don't you? Yeah. He was he was but what a great guy. You know this. Better than anyone because you've been in the world of footy, where great people, people who are good at what they do, go on to coach what they do. Mm. Isn't it amazing when you get near anyone that knows what they're doing? Todd, as a choreographer, can teach people who can't dance how to dance.
0: Yeah,
2: I've never. Robbie was so invested in getting us to jump well, wasn't he? Yeah, and he a great was great coach. Yeah. Like I felt you got
0: to. You got to remember that Todd McKenney when he got on a motorbike, had never ridden. Never. You and I had ridden a motorbike. Todd had never ridden a motorbike, so he didn't know how to take off. No, and. Was it ten days later? He's going over an eight meter jump.
2: Yeah. Well, you used to race, didn't you? you used I, race I used to W8. race in
0: juniors. Yeah, in under fi- under fifteen. So You're I had a good idea of how to ride. But even I felt a little bit uncomfortable.
2: Oh, they're a bit, well, there are KDM so yeah five. are A weapon of a bike.
0: Uh, yeah. So Robbie Madison organised all these bikes for us. And your it was-
2: dad on that bike was it was like watching Ned Kelly get handed a gun. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was a look that came. Great over fun. It. I he couldn't stay it. off it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. That was just unbelievable, wasn't it?
2: Well, can we talk about a few favourite yeah, memories? Yeah, go on. Vegas. They edited the, the pants of it, and as we yeah. both know, that's what happened. So we were we were overseas for weeks, yep. weeks and weeks and weeks. But um, a few highlights for me: the church, <laughs> oh, we the White Chapel. <laughs> we went to the White <laughs> Chapel where Frank Sinatra got married. Married, yes. Uh, other big names. Uh, uh,
0: someone famous in sport, like Kobe Bryant, or something. Yeah, big married. names. Yeah. Uh,
2: uh, Britney Spears, did you yes, get married there? I think so, yeah. The list goes on. Yeah. And it's the famous – well, it was the first one. It's the chapel in Vegas where everyone gets drunk when two bucks on a craps table says, let's get married. Married, To the yep. first person that looks in their direction. Yeah. So they get married and they get divorced 12 hours later. Yep. But it's a famous spot and we want to go there because yep. it's so famous. And the organiser who – was the maddest woman we've ever met. Remember oh, how nuts she yes. was? Yes, oh, yeah. And she was so keen to be on TV. Oh. She didn't care what it was. She was so keen to be on TV. She came out, came out of retirement. <laughs> to do the wedding ceremony. Yeah.
0: For there someone was, we didn't know.
2: For someone we didn't know. Someone she didn't know. Yeah. And she didn't know their name when she got to the bit. Yeah, that's now, right. Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. And then looked up and said, what's your name or something? And, <laughs> and like, you had one gig. I mean, surely that's the important But
0: bit. not only that, do you remember I was sitting in the chapel uh, uh, as a member of this wedding and I had a big white poodle sitting on my lap.
2: <laughs> the lady that read the place had a poodle and BT <laughs> just grabbed it and said, can And I take it in. She's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So he went in, but it was uh, it was just the weirdest wedding. It was a it was a well we can doesn't we're not going to say who they are. Not that I'd remember what their names were anyway. No, there's these organised weddings which I hadn't even I don't know whether you knew this. I hadn't figured this out until we got there because we're all going. Why are these two people getting married? I don't know. Just they didn't seem like a couple. So what happens is there's arranged marriages. Well, is that the right Uh, word? Yeah, where. Military, so people join the military, they become a Marine, yeah. and they're going to go and do six months in the Middle East. And if they don't have a partner, when you join the military, you get an incredibly good package that if you if you lose your life there, your loved one gets a pretty good payout. Right. So they do these things in towns where they go, well, how about you just marry my daughter, and we'll do a bit of a deal with the family. If anything happens to you, she'll get some money. We'll give her some of that to your family. So they do these right. arrangements and, and that's what ah. I, I think, I don't know, and if it wasn't that, they, there's a lot of that that goes on over there. But either way, it was the nuttiest wedding I've ever been to. Your dad sitting in that church with a dog.
0: <laughs> my, one of the my bitty. best memories was Germany where we had to go in this four-man uh, manual sled. Horn slatten. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, down this mountain about three Ks. And we're, we've entered the German Championships. It's the German Open. And they're serious about it. And they're serious. And they've got teams that are sponsored and they're, they're, oh. they're warming up and stretching. Can you imagine me and Shane warming up? <laughs> we, we, we just getting to the top of the hill. A problem, but about three k up in the mountains, they just they just push you off, and you've got to navigate no this track. So, no so, steering,
2: so it's a wooden sled. We've got to explain yeah, to yeah. people. It's just it's the thing that you would you ex- you've got to think Santa sled, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah. A wooden because it is a wooden yep. sled. In fact, pull all the pretty stuff and presents Often. off Sander's sled, yep. and that's what it is. Yep, two timber rails. Yep, a very rudimentary bench seat down the middle. You yep. straddle your legs over yep. like a horse on like a gymnasium horse, and someone up the front, two in the middle. I yep. was just ballast. I yep. was just weight. <laughs> so Chris is up the back. There's no way of turning this thing. No. Todd had to use his left or right foot at the front to kind of plough in the snow, which kind of turns it a bit. But Chris Smith, who did a fantastic job, had to use all his weight to kind of just turn it. Just turn and it. We're and
0: we're avoiding trees and everything.
2: So it was a couple of K down. We we went we got went on radio. They oh, yeah. had us, the people couldn't believe a team came from Australia. Little did they know
0: We're shitting we had,
2: ourselves. Oh yeah, I was. I we're no 70, idea. 80
0: Ks an hour we're doing we're like, you training. And helmets and-,
2: oh, and well, so first we've got to talk about our mate who was our trainer, who just said, Yes, of course, to anything you asked him. <laughs> yes. And so we got to be Yes, of, safe. Course, <laughs> of course. He just said that to everything. <laughs> yeah, can you turn water to the wine? Yes, of course. <laughs> it just didn't matter. He just said yes, of course, to everything. So we enter this thing and we beat. <laughs> we yeah, beat. Half eight, the field. Half the field. I I, I, don't know, I honestly don't know how we did because we were just trying not to crash. But well, We just and went
0: so. flat out. Remember, we decided we're not going to use any brakes. No. No
2: brakes. No that's breaks. not what happened. No. <laughs> you, you alone, you yeah. had the brakes. You yeah. alone said... I know how we win this. We just don't break, yeah. and we're like, no, "Well, no, you've got to break." And you went, well, we're, "We're no chance of winning if we don't know what we're doing, so you yeah. can't break." And we're going, "Yeah, so speed kills. Everyone knows that." I reckon, <laughs> I reckon you've got to break. You decided we weren't going to
0: break. Yes, no, we didn't. P- yeah. Picked up a few seconds.
2: Uh, well, we beat eight German teams. And when we got back to the hotel, there was a big congratulations poster printed by. And I think they thought they did think a lot of them thought, "Isn't this amazing?" This ridiculous competition that has gone on for like just forever in yeah. Germany. It's a yeah. very traditional event. Absolutely. A team has come all the way yeah, from, Australia. from Australia. Little did they know, we'd never been in one of those things <laughs> until the day before. No, that's <laughs> right. It was amazing. <laughs> Could have been Absolutely. a
1: combination of the power to weight ratio and no brakes, meaning the weight of the sheer velocity <laughs> was, uh, was increased.
2: Well, it was so out of kilt, it was just called a weight to weight ratio.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes, half time in this episode of The Life of Brian. Now, I'd like to give this message. I'd like the opportunity to talk about our great friends at Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne. If you're on a construction site and need product urgently, then you can count on Grimley's Direct. Getting your orders to you on time, every time at speed with our fleet of Grimley's vans and trucks direct from us to you. It's that simple. Grimley's has been in the game for more than 30 years, earning a reputation built on grip determination and a focus on delivering the best sourced fasteners and constructions construction supplies with a whatever-it-takes type attitude. Uh, whether it's a large commercial job, a small domestic little project, hardworking tradies need the right products at the right time, Grimly goes above and beyond to deliver on the details. Grimly's always aims for the best solutions to your products. Go to Grimleys.com.au for delivery that you can count on. Speaking of power to weight and weight to weight and all <laughs> that sort of mechanical stuff, um, Shane, you're, you're a little bit like me, I reckon. I love my shed tools, cars, mechanical, uh, any of that sort of stuff. I've got a good setup, but it, but your setup is unbelievable. What, what What is the thing that you like doing? I, I love being out in the shed. What do you do?
2: Yeah, I love tinkering. I'm, I'm, we both know we both got a bit of acreage. Yep. Um, in fact, your old place was near yep. where I'm in. I'm in the Ranges and Ranges since yep. you've moved down to Lawn. I, I love – I've been so busy lately is the truth. Last year and a half, I've – I haven't been anywhere near my property, anywhere near enough. But, um, you know, like most people, I, I do tune out mowing the lawns, getting on yeah. a, a zero-turn mower yeah. and spending a couple of hours out there. Particularly and I,
0: getting on one that you haven't paid for.
2: I, I paid for my job. Right, of course you, you did. <laughs> of course you did. It's one of the things I paid for. <laughs> I paid for that one. Right. Um, and hello, Toro, if you're listening. Yes. Because I need an upgrade. But um, <laughs> I want to go to the big diesel unit. Well, I know.
0: have a Razorback. Yes, you do. Yes, they're good too.
2: There, you should, Yeah. Yeah, and, and you, you've told me they're wonderful. But anyway,
0: we're talking about mowing the lawn, for Christ's sake. I mean, it is the most pleasurable thing.
2: Well, because mine um, holds – I'm not even joking – holds two stubbies. It's got <laughs> two, and, and you rip past the house and you know, run in and do a swap. But I do – so I do love doing that, but I love – so I've got cars. Yeah, you're you a know, car man. Definitely. So what, um,
0: old cars, new cars? Old
2: cars. Fancy um, cars? no. No, so I, I was uh, Holden purist, but since um, Holden and Ford are no longer as we knew them in Australia, I kind of um, it kind of shifted something in me, going oh, but like same with footy, you know, you can you can you know, as a doggy supporter, you can crack all your jokes about. Collingwood, or whatever you want. But when they're gone, if they're all gone, you, you miss your competitor because without a competitor, you haven't got a game. And so, when you know, I was a Holden purist, so I've got a EH Holden, I've uh, got a HJ Kingswood that's the Holden Museum in Achuca. So that was, I yep. did a film with Hoag's called Charlie and Boots, and yep. that was the car out of that that I had restored. I've got a, a VS Commodore Ute that's a rally Ute. I've got, uh, but I've got some Fords, I've got a ZD Fairlane. I've got a F700 seven-ton 1965 tray back. So like, you know, F-150 or F-100, it's an F700. How many doors is your garage? I've got got a few, to be honest. I've got a film truck business, so my trucks are in a factory, and so I've got a few cars there. I've got a HQ ute. I've got to think about – I've got a 1963. So I walk
0: into your shed, I see cars. Do I see – do I see tools, or are you yeah. a man that sends your stuff off to be done?
2: I do send it off to be done. I don't. I don't trust myself enough yep. to do it right. And yeah, I want you're a little cars. bit like me. Yeah. So I do. I like to tinker, but it is only tinker because I I just don't trust myself enough to get it right. Um, and so uh, yeah. But I I just I, lo- I just love everything about cars. I I see them as moving bits of art. I really do like a car. Like they excite me to look at. When you oh, look I remember
0: there. when you were moving rocks around the size of a small mini <laughs> moke at home. That was the most uh, unbelievable thing that was happening in your life at the time. And you're a busy man. Or, or, or I remember we we're up in Sydney filming something, and you, all you're worried about is the rocks that are being moved at oh, your place
2: yeah. in and Ranges. I've got, a, I've got a mate who does uh, dry rock walls, so big, big ones. Oh, so
0: I, and I, the pleasure out of a dry rock wall.
2: Oh, so he does archways that have no mortar. So. So yeah. brick but i mean small shards of rock right and his patience and I, I he doesn't do it with paperwork he can see it in his mind yeah you know, some people visualise a win when you hear great sports, but he yeah. just visualises rock walls. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: just, just back on the mower, have you ever flipped a mower, Shane?
2: So, oh, okay, let's have this chat, which yeah, is I know. safety bar up, safety bar down on the back of a zero tune. I mean, we'll get – so anyone listening, and there's many who are, I'm sure, this is not – do not take this as gospel. This has just been my experience. So there's no rhyme or reason. There's no, there's no technical research going into this, but – I had that bar, that roll bar, and again, I'm going to say it again. Don't, no one. This is just me telling a story. Hey, it might not even be real. I think I'm off the hook now. My wife's a lawyer. She's very, <laughs> must be very cautious. But I had that roll bar up, and the first day I used it, you know, you don't- Tree. I, a tree, and the, and the top of it grabs a branch. You do forget it.
0: Pulls you back. Man. And
2: it, it pulled me back, and then when it does- like your handles move and the thing started to go. Yeah, I, I don't I've have p- the
0: tree problem, I have the mountain problem, the <laughs> incline of 18%, and, <laughs> it, and it flips and rolls on you 500 kilos, but you chops know, you up. You- <laughs> I remember one day, my luckily my wife had gone for a walk down the hill to the beach, walking the dog, and I flipped the mower. The mower, five hundred kilos, landed on top of me, and the blades are still spinning, and I'm under the mower. And it's about the only time I've ever taken my phone with me to cut the lawns because I'm I'm eight hundred metres from the house. Yeah. And Tanya's walked down, so I get the phone out of my pocket. got I'm trapped under the. I said, "You trapped? Well, where are you?" She said, "I'm about two hundred metres away. I'm just coming back from the beach." I said, "Well, hurry up because I'm trapped under the mower. I need you to turn it off. Get the mower." So. I was trapped under
2: the mower. So 500 kilo can trap you to the ground. Absolutely. Maybe I could beat you in a fight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good, very
2: good. I
0: I, I am... I'm I'm amazed, Kenny. Like mm. this is the thing that shot you to stardom, and yeah. and you're now doing everything you're doing probably because of the brilliant job you did with that film. Were you the producer of that film as well? So
2: my brother, my brother and me did it together. Yeah, yeah. So he he directed it. Um, if you
0: <laughs> so for people out there, tell us what what Kenny's about, by the way.
2: So we're so my the Jacobson family. Our history, we're Carney folk. So oh yeah, yeah,
0: Carneys,
2: yeah. Big, wow, big they're fingers. an unusual breed. Yeah, they're not always to be trusted.
0: I know a couple of carnies. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> you look at
2: one. Smell like cabbage. Yeah, big fingers smell like cabbage. <laughs> <exactly> Web feet. <laughs> it, it is.
0: Ferris wheels. Well, oh.
2: And as you know, there's an um, there's a few things that everyone inherently knows in life. Like you don't have to get told to hold your breath when you put your head underwater. You learn that. It's fast. There's a few things we just know and you stand here a fire and go, I reckon I don't want to get closer than this. You don't really have to be told this stuff. Like a human figures it out. There's not a single person who's ever had to tell another human when you get on a ride at the show, don't ever go at the guy that runs the ride. <laughs> <laughs> no one has to tell anyone that. As soon as you approach any ride anywhere in the world and there's the guy leaning on the motor or the, the yeah. guy that gets on the back of the dodging car, yeah. He's you not
0: just grumpy. He can <laughs> fight too.
2: <laughs> you never go, hey, you go. You just don't.
0: Guys on the octopus, he's collecting the tokens, give him the fucking token. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, even my dad when he retired, so dad worked at the Transport and Storage and runs a, runs a boxing gym and played footy and did all that. But um, even he on time off, it's so funny, even he somehow ended up back working for Whittingslow's Um, at the Royal Melbourne show. And uh, some of my favourite stories (laughs) is Dad's got a great sense of humour. He's the funniest bloke I've ever met. No one will ever be funnier than my dad. It's just impossible. Right? He's a comedy jukebox and he works on the show. (laughs) And he'd always come back and tell us stories. A mate of ours was in in charge of... Um, safety at, at the Royal Melbourne Show. And this is back in the day when nothing was safe. So no safety. No safety. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he just, I think his job was to make walk around and make sure there was no safety. <laughs> but even he went, at one point heard some kids get on the ride on the big giant slide. Dad would relieve people who had to go to have a leak or have lunch, right? Right. So he'd just walk around like, oh, we need you over at the whatever. So he's on the, the slide and he's up the top. And the safety guy walked up just to inspect some stuff and overheard dad talking to some young kids. And one of the kids says, What's the quickest way down? Dad said, Jump straight over the side, you'll fucking beat them all. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, Ron, you can't say that. <laughs> and then he had um, he said he had on the on the ghost train, kids had come out. And uh, and go. What's so scary about that? And he goes when you check your wallet and see how much we charge <laughs>
0: for that shit. And so, Dad was even then. Dad was funny because when you used to go on those ghost <laughs> trains, you know, if if someone growing up went in there and oh. they weren't really enjoying it, all of a sudden it'd be dark and someone would whack you in the bloody eye or in the head.
2: But the, the guy, just to
0: smarten you up.
2: Well, remember they used to they jump out and, and yeah. ruffle your hair. Yeah. How many stories? And you oh. would have known some blokes that wanted to get oh. a get a rip or a Absolutely. right cross. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was a lot of stories of them getting punched out in the ghost train. So, run.
0: Kenny, back to Kenny, uh,
2: plumber. Yeah, which uh,
0: I'm not. Which you're not. So you played the role of a plumber in Kenny. Uh, yes. Ken, what was his name? Kenny? Kenny Smythe. Kenny Smythe, that's right. And it was about these portable loos that they put at events. events. So I was doing golf at the time in Melbourne. I did quite a lot of golf. And so portable loos would roll up at the golf with the marquees and, you know, cope with the 15,000 people they're going to have at events. That That was the – Principal, did you yeah. get that from attending events in Melbourne, the idea?
2: So what it was, I used to do, um, I was a lot, before I had a recognisable You were the head. Dunny man. Yeah. Well, I, I I didn't do that as a job. I ran events. Right. And so I'd run the Molly, for those in Melbourne, I used to do the Molly Bloom St. Patrick's Day Festival and events like that. And that event in particular is, I use Splashdown Toilets. They were the toilet company right. I used. Ah. And when they turned up, the reason I referenced before that I come from carny folk is they are very much like carny folk. Right. And what that usually means, incredibly hard workers, rough cut diamonds with a great sense of humour. That's my experience. Yeah. But more so, the guys that we talk about on the back of rides do not do seem a little bit humourless. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and But the people that work in toilets, so many people are ready to have a joke at their expense that they've got a joke at the ready. Because people just say, oh, bloody, you work for the toilets, you'll take shit from anybody and all that stuff. <laughs> They've heard it all, right? Yeah. But the thing is they are so ready with a response and there's nothing you can say to offend them. And if you think about it, nearly every time you see a truck go past it's a series truck, there's some kind of joke on the – Henry yeah. yeah, You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? They're all Written the, on the truck, yeah. There's some gag – like they have to have a sense of humour because they are the butt of everyone's joke. Yeah, yeah. and. And not only that, when you go to – imagine these guys, and we, <clears throat> I got to have these chats with them, that when they go to a wedding, you go to a wedding or someone's and everyone's going around the table, hi, I'm Shane, hi, I'm Brian, what do you do? I'm, You know, I'm a commentator, I'm an actor, and you get around to some bloke, you know, they're going to have to say, I work for Splashdown, <clears throat> what's that? Oh, we do the toilets for events. The second they've announced that, as if they're going to be <laughs> bragging about that, everyone's going to go, oh, and they're off, you know, oh, I'm not going to shake your hand and all that stuff. So they have – a sense of humour at the ready. Their, gun, their comedy guns are fully loaded the second they turn up at any event. So I had them on an event and um, we I'd given a lecture because I used to do sometimes security plans for events as well. And so I'd had this big briefing session with everyone working on the event and said, every person that comes through the door of this event is a customer because in entertainment they call them punters and it's a you know derogatory term. And I went, everyone that turns up at this event pays for us. They're actually the client. So, security, I said, hands off approach. In fact, I was the only person I think that did this. I used to pay people to leave the event. If they were too drunk to be there, if you don't want to start a fight, give a bloke 50 bucks. Yeah, give him a Guinness hat, give him a shirt, and say, You're exactly the person this pub is looking for as a drinker. But at the moment, you're (laughs) going to have to go because you've drunk too much. There's 50 bucks. And I'd send them to the pub down the road with 50 bucks in their pocket. I never had a fight. Police said it was a genius, right? <laughs> anyway, so I briefed about, oh, we don't want any blues. We can't. It's a it's a drinking festival, so everyone's going to be on edge. We've got Irish and Scottish and Australians and people that know how to blue, some people that want to blue. Anyway, I've done this big thing. I said, so we need to treat everyone like they're a AAA customer. So I'd done this big session. We opened the gates. Honestly, it was like 11 o'clock. And the first person to walk in is an old lady. Now, she was not there to drink Guinness. (laughs) She was just there to have a look at what the heck was going on. So I think she even had a shopping bag. She was just on her way home. Right. So no one's coming in to drink. In fact, most of the people that would drink at a drinking festival were probably just going to bed from the night before. So they're not coming for a while. And she walked straight in just to use one of the toilets and walked in. And it's just burnt into my head. She walked in and she came out and I was standing with a guy, right? His name was... Kevin, he's no longer with us, dear old Kev, and he had a lisp. Um, and so the, the Ke- Kenny character is not based on him. It's inspired by a whole bunch of people, yeah. but he did have a lisp. Um, and he uh, a lady came out and he had splashed down corporate bathroom rentals on his shirt and I was standing near him and she came out and said, are you responsible for the toilets? And pointed at us. And and he said, yes, yes we are. <laughs> and she said, I've just been in there in there. And they smelled disgusting and that's your fault
1: (laughs) To the guy beside me, right? And
2: and he said, oh, is that right? (laughs) And I'm thinking, I hope he handles this well. I've just finished what I thought was a great rev-up speech. And he said, well, let's just go through this, shall we? He said, "Uh, (laughs) we've only just kick-started this whole thing. And he said, uh, so uh, no one else has been in there. So if there's something in there you don't like the smell of, it's probably got more to do with you than us. (laughs) And he said another thing worth noting, he said, uh, is we are in charge of transport. We leave the manufacturing up to you. (laughs) And he said, if you don't like what it smells like in there, I would suggest you go and see your doctor. It might be something to do with the lack of fibre. I don't know. He's just doing what I would call a perfect five-minute comedy set. (laughs)
0: Routine, yeah.
2: And it was just, it was so funny that when he started, I'm thinking, (laughs) I asked you to treat them like gold. But what I thought was amazing was he used humour to diffuse the whole situation. situation. She started angry. Ended up with a smirk on her face. <laughs> she got the information, which is if if it stinks in there, it's you. Because he said we've only just kickstarted this thing. You're the first thing in there, yeah. And it smelt fine two minutes ago, which it did. Yeah. So he's actually delivered her a message, which is you're at fault. Did it with a sense of humour. And and to me, that was just the perfect world. That's what my dad did. My uncles worked for the council, they worked in quarries, breaking rocks. And they just had a sense you know, my my dad came from a very poor family. They lived in a tent my dad lived in a tent until he was twenty-one. He used to joke his jokes where he was so poor growing up he couldn't even afford to pay attention at school. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he said that he reckons that at one point they were sponsored by a family in Peru. <laughs> 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 but, but so they, they used this. My dad and my uncles and, you know, big families, my parents were one of seven and one of eight. But quite literally, dad, when, when my grandfather died, they were carny folk on tour, had no house. So they lived in the tent that they used to wow. use at the carnival until my dad was 21. Never, never slept under a hard roof until he was 21 years of age. And they used their sense of humor as a suit of armour. And so did these splashdown workers. And I went to my brother and was telling him these stories about how funny. Oh, the other one was, as a as a plumber, you would know they have the the blue, that blue dye, yeah, in the, yeah, with yeah. the glue, right? Yeah. And as you know, back in the old days, plumbers used to used to seem to stay in their hands. All or on their fingers. Fingers, and, yeah. yeah. Old Kev, when we did major events, they'd always have catering for the bands, but they'd never think of the workers. And he used to get blue texter when he saw a massive tray of um sandwiches come into the production office for the bands and everyone else. he get they didn't they were all um quick lock connectors that yep. unscrew and there's no there's no glue. Yeah. He used to get a blue texture. <laughs> And paint his hand blue, because <laughs> everyone would associate that with his had his hand in the pipes. <laughs> and he would go and dive his hand in the <laughs> middle the of the plate of sandwiches. <laughs> and they go, Oh, you, your boys could have the rest of those. <laughs> and he'd come back and go, worked again, got another plate of sandwiches. Uh, but I just I just thought they are the best to me. They were just the best example of an Australian, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Hard-working, sense of humour. So for
0: those that don't know, you made a film out of that called Kenny, which is what yeah. we've been talking well, about. it
2: was my brother's idea. He ha- said what a great way to look at the Australian personality yeah. and character is through it- the eyes of a splashdown plumber.
0: Is there a way you can tell how successful that was? Everyone knows it was successful, but for Harrison, who's perhaps a bit younger and didn't know about it, what? how do you measure success when, when, when it's a film?
2: So when you start, I mean, yeah, it's a great question because, you know, at the start we just hoped it would get to a few people. So we yep. did it as a short film first, put it in the St Kilda Film Festival. Yep. It was a 45-minute long short film, a long short film. It won Channel 10's Best Comedy Award at the St Kilda Film Festival and People's Choice. And people kept coming to us saying that's – You won
0: the AFI Actor of the Year well, for Well, at it? this point we hadn't. We hadn't at that point. And, yeah.
2: and the smorgas – I've got to tell you, a friend worked with, connected to a family that had somebody come up and said, you need to turn that into a feature. Um, which we did, and then we hoped. Well, a little bit I'll speed through this bit if I can. He said they want to give you a million dollars to turn it into a feature. And my brother said, That's too much money, you won't get it back. You'll never get it back. I was a relatively unknown actor at that point. Well, very much an unknown yep. actor. My brother, first time feature director, he'd worked for John Farnham and U2, but never made a feature film. Right. So no one's looking to him to say what's his next feature. He hadn't yep. done one. All the cast in it, unknown people. Uh, we had Yvonne Bibra who did some bits. She was from Shantuzzi's. But other than yep. that, no one knew who anyone else was. And he said, you'll never get your money back. And if this family you're talking about want their money back, we're not in the business of getting people's money and losing it. We don't We don't gamble and we're not going to gamble with someone else's money when they don't want to gamble. So we said no. And he said, well, how much can you do it for? And my brother said, well, we could probably do it for half that. We could do it for half of me. And he said, how would you do that? And he said, me and Shane are going to do everything, which we did. Wow. But what happened was at the time, um, my brother was arguing there's not a feature film in it and we were sitting at Glenn Prusker's house who to this day still runs an own Splashdown and his beautiful wife Jenny, they were there. My brother was arguing there's not enough in this 45-minute film to stretch it to a full feature.
0: Hour and 15, hour and 20. Yeah,
2: or hour and 30. A lot of people yeah. like the cinemas like that, about hour and 28, hour 30. And why we were having an argument about there's not enough in it to turn it to a feature. Glenn Pruska's wife came over and interrupted the the owner of Splashdown. Yeah, Yeah, his wife came over um, and said, Look, sorry to interrupt, uh, boys, but um, Dale, she said to her husband, "Uh, I'll never forget his name. Ron from American is on the phone from America. They need to know now by the close of business, their time tomorrow, whether we are or aren't going to exhibit at the Pumper and Cleaner Expo in Nashville. (laughs) (laughs) And, And my brother went, What's that? <laughs> went, uh, uh, what's that? And they went, what's that? And he said, what what was that you just said? And she said, it's the Pumper and Cleaner Expo. He said, what's that? And Glenn's face lit up because oh, it's his world. And he said, oh. There's the
0: next 20 minutes.
2: He said, it's the world's biggest toilet expo. He said, oh, mate, it's Poo HQ. He said, <laughs> and off he goes. He starts raving, and it is. We went there. And my brother said, that's that's what this story needs. It needs Kenny fish out of water, like you've done deep yeah. thing, to go to America yes. as this and be with the Americans and them being Americans and us being Australians. So that then that, that's how the film was born. So to go back to your question of the success, when it came out, we just hoped a few people would get a laugh out of it. It outsold Superman three to one. It was the highest grossing Australian film wow. in three years. I think it's in the top forty Australian films ever. It was for a while. Um, the DVD was the highest selling DVD at that point, the fastest and I've highest got a DVD. in history. Yeah. So they sold out Australia wide in four days. Wow. Um, we did eight million at the box office back then, which was a lot back then, for yeah. an independent film where no one knew anything about it. Yeah. But the DVDs, they sold out Australia-wide in four days and Madman, who distributed the film for us and did a wonderful job, were saying to us, JB Hi-Fi, have all the stores are all calling me going, you've got to get more. They got to the point that they had like a store would say, we've got over 200 orders just in this store for that DVD and we've given out everything we got. So they had to get some specially printed in Singapore and we had them sitting on the tarmac there, getting them onto planes with forklifts to try and get yeah. them out so the, the dvd yeah at that time was the highest selling dvd in australian history because dvds was sort of a new thing then
0: you know? unbelievably successful i mean you that, we we constantly you must hate when we talk about that film because it's no. it's like the only one you've ever done but you've done a shitload of others there's been what have you done 20 or 30 films yeah I wouldn't even know it's yeah something, yeah, something yeah. like that yeah so, which which is absolutely uh bloody incredible but you've also you've also recently more recently in after the Kenny phenomenon and the couple of other films or those other films you've did, you've sort of moved to TV a little bit, haven't you? Like, um, yeah, with producing
2: and, and well, hosting, yeah. Because I've um, I've done, yeah, I hosted a lot. Australia's Got Talent. Australia's Got Talent, uh, Top Gear. Yeah, Top Gear, that's right. When, when Great Australian Bake Off first yep. came to Australia, Little Big Shots. Yep. <clears throat> so, yeah, they give you to do a bit of hosting, which is-
0: Theatre as well, Hairspray. You've just recently come off Hairspray, Rocky yeah. Horror.
2: Yeah, Rocky Horror Guys and Dolls. I did yep. Drowsy Chaperone with Jeffrey Rush and Rhonda Birchmore and a whole team. of yeah, I've done a lot in Mother and Son and uh, Shame on the Musical with with Eddie Perfect and Mike
0: Beaconsfield, Smith. another film. So, do you feel like at any moment? Do you feel like at any moment, given the body of work that you've done and the the scope, the the width of the work you've done, crossing all genres, do do you feel like? Something's going to pop up any minute. That's going to be another huge success for you. Are you going along with that open mind that that's going to happen?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's a funny one because I'm I'm 53 now, and you know this better than me. When you, you're trying to be stratospherically successful, or at least keep aiming for things that excite you, so the Hollywood career, so the biggest film I've ever been involved in was was The Bourne Legacy, a 200 million dollar franchise you know yeah was the one with jeremy renner it's normally matt damon but jeremy renner did one i was in that one so that was 200 million dollars and when and i got american agents and all that but my kids are now so it's kind of shifted my kids are 17 13 11 and eight and my wife's got a law practice and we've got quite a few companies okay. and businesses so it's funny my, my focus has shifted it used to be about that big hollywood dream but now i don't want to move to hollywood i just so, want to stay in australia
0: because it, it, it makes me think, I just thought of another very funny story we're in Vegas and, and about, the, about the possibility of doing other films and people you've met and, you know, you had John Cleese out here recently doing a roast, you're, you're great mates with Paul Hogan. But remember when we are in Vegas and um, you said, right boys, um, we're going to go and see a show. What show do you want to see? <laughs> And um and you said, Hang on a minute, I'll ring the boys from human nature. So you get on the phone, direct to human nature guys, I don't know which one, yeah. and you say, Yeah, yeah, front row, come back to the stage, you can see kiss our bottom, you can do everything anything you want. So human nature and we're front row and change room, say hello to them, yeah. they're gonna look after us, right? I'm thinking I'm thinking, how'd he do that? How'd he ring up human nature who are big box office uh, people in in Vegas on the strip over there? Or it's, um wasn't Gloria Estefan, it was Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Or, or, boys, we can go to Mariah Carey. Now, we're sitting three rows back at Mariah. She's costing us a couple hundred bucks each. We're not getting the tickets for free. And so Chris Smith, you, me, Todd McKenney we look at each other and we we have a bit of a conversation about it and we say, human nature, I reckon we can see them back in Australia sometime. That's exactly so, what we said. Yeah, so we'll catch we up. We haven't
2: come all, halfway around the planet That's right. to see an Australian band. We've yeah. come halfway around the planet, let's see something. Well, you're not going to see Mariah Carey so, in Dubbo. So you this was her.
0: funny. So let's go and see Mariah Carey. I don't know, Caesars, Blagio, one yeah, of those oh, places. So, of anyway, we're in there sitting three rows back and she was such a prima Donna, oh. Good singer, but Jesus Christ, her performance in the breaks, getting new dresses and she'd come out she'd be that tightly fitted with a dress that she could not breathe, <laughs> would she?
2: The dancers worked harder. ...than a minor the, yeah. because she kept disappearing off stage yes. to change another dress. Yeah, they had to keep dancing. We had no problem with any of the dresses she was wearing. No. In fact, <laughs> put on a tracksuit, just come out here and sing. Yeah. I don't care about your dress, sing. And, she, yeah, she just kept disappearing and we got the shits up and but, you remember.
0: Yes, now I remember this. This is the part <laughs> and there's, um, you just, know, and... She oh! She's singing away and she's hitting the big notes and it come down to a low vote. And I heard you say... Yell out! There wasn't. There was. It was absolute <laughs> silence in the theatre, and she was coming down on the, from the high note on She'd this.
2: annoyed everyone at this point, On
0: right? this low note, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: down she went, and all of a sudden, the audience three rows back, uh, Shane Jacobson saying, "Give the ring back," <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, "What the hell is Jacobson doing?" Give the ring back, he says a second time. And the third, just to make sure she's well, – While she was – give the ring back. And the whole bloody audience is looking at us and thinking, Christ, what – and I didn't realise, but she was married to –
2: James Packer. Yeah, James Packer. <laughs> and broke up with him but kept the wedding ring. And, and, the, and the wedding ring was like $5 million diamond <laughs> ring or something. You and me could both have better houses than we've got with that ring and she didn't give it back. So, yeah, give back the ring. And then – <laughs> And then at one point I feel terrible, but I don't. Because she'd really annoyed like, it was just the worst thing. She kept disappearing and she would oh. have a go at a crew. I've got friends since who've told me of two with a you can only film her from one side and she just kept, can you turn this up? And we'd just talk to the crew, like just give us a show. Yeah. The other thing was <laughs> at one point um she thought it somehow her team thought it would be a big reveal. She's walked off again for another 35 minutes to get into dress 746. <laughs> And then this massive five minutes later they're all dancing and the band are, you know, jamming and we're like, we haven't come here to see this. And then that big box gets pushed on stage. That's right. And we're yelling, at, she's in the box! <laughs> and she was. Yeah. <laughs> As they coming here for the big reveal, she's in the box! She's We've in got the it. Box. We've nailed this. She's
1: definitely in the box. How's the maturity levels on the Oh, not,
2: it was not our It wasn't our best day. We'd
1: been to lunch.
2: We'd been, to yeah.
1: Speaking of lunch, I, there's another story from this mates on a mission trip that I want to hear about is the Japanese buffet. Oh no, oh. Th-
0: this is um that was on the filming of um Full Monty. Full Monty. Tell that story. It was a Korean
2: it was a Korean barbecue. I said
0: to Shane well, we'll go for dinner tonight. He said yeah, I know this bloody Korean barbecue place around the corner. All we can eat. He said we can eat. And yet, all you can
2: eat that was their thing.
0: All you can eat 25 75 something. Yeah. Whatever it was.
2: Yeah. All you can eat
0: and <laughs> It's technology. You don't have to wait for a waiter to come and order. That's right. This bloody choo-choo train goes past with the food and you just press the buttons iPad. on the on you the touch computer, the iPad. Yeah. You
2: literally just touch it. I, I like to look at that. You touch it and it just turns up.
0: Sends a photo of the food and everything yeah, on the iPad. Bang press it and we All you can we, eat. we were drinking you bashing and that button. Eating. <laughs> We'd press so many fucking <laughs> buttons. And and we had we had food for a party, didn't yeah, and Asahi, we? But it was just the two of us.
2: Asahi premium beverages ran out of Asahi. That yeah, God yeah, yeah.
0: Trying. Ran out of beer, <laughs> uh, uh, and and we just we just said, oh, I have one more. One more, one more main meal. We, we, we were that big. I was, my guts was hitting the table. I felt like I couldn't even get up and go to the toilet. We, we, we were absolutely, we'd eaten everything. And all of a sudden the on the screen, t- the, the screen went blank. No more, <laughs> no more photos of sweet and sour pork. The, the, the screen went blank. What shame! What did it say on the screen after about four hours of us consuming?
2: Your table is under review.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because remember, it was a all you could eat for twenty five yeah,
2: bucks. Turns out, it's not all we could eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's all they could eat. All these tiny little people had figured out what they thought was the most a human could oh, eat. They never factored in no. a Taylor and a Jacobson. Yeah, and they, and they literally they cut us off.
1: I've never heard of anyone getting well, cut off at a buffet.
2: Nor had we until that point. Uh, great learnings for all. And they came over and said, "Nah, you, you're, you're done. You're done. <laughs> and we went, but we're not done. And we agreed to pay for the rest. Oh, I'd, yeah. w-
0: I'd waited all night for the Spice Calamari and I couldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. yeah,
2: they actually had to restart the machine, re-kick the machine into action and charge us more.
0: So but, you kept going.
2: Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, we did.
0: So actor, director... <laughs> Writer, comedian, producer—you uh, name it. Theatre, the, the, all of the genres you've covered. Which, which is the thing you actually enjoy doing? Which, which I mean, I'm sure you you get a great satisfaction out of all of it. Which is the one? Which is the absolute? Uh, this is the one I love.
2: So the thing that I have trouble kind of differentiating, if you will, is that quite often I always compare it to beer, wine, cheese, and salami. I love them all for different reasons. So the thing with theatre that I love, but the problem with theatre is it goes for so long. You gotta do eight shows a week for yeah, a year. Yeah, that's hard work. That's you, not you. No, but I have but I've you know I've hard <laughs> <yeah, worse laughs> <time. laughs> unless it's all you can eat. Uh, and then I'm hard at work. Now, when you do the theater shows, the thing is you finish I mean not too many you get it in footy, kick a goal, round of applause. Um but there's so many people kicking goals in life, you know what I mean? There's kindergarten teachers out there looking after other people's kids. Yeah. Wiping up vomit and changing nappies of a kids that's not even theirs. And when they do it, they don't no one no one gives them a round of applause. But the thing with theatre is you finish a song, and I've just finished another three month run on a, a show called Midnight in Melbourne. You finish the song and the audience applaud. It's pretty, pretty good. And you get paid for doing it. Yeah. So the immediacy of the feedback is pretty fantastic. If you do a bad performance, the audience will let you know. You know, ask Daryl Summers. Yeah. so (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. You know what I mean? But if it doesn't quite work, the audience let you know straight away. So uh, not that I'm suggesting he didn't have a go, but the audience, your feedback's same with footy, you kick a point. I mean, the audience let you know, don't they? they yeah, know, absolutely. Let you know, yeah. so yeah, if you kick a point, if you, if you miss completely, you'll get a boo. If you get a point, you get a mild reaction. If you kick a goal, they go nuts, and that's what happens in theatre. So you tell a joke, same thing, sing a song. So that's great. TV, you and I know, can be can be a bit of a stop start medium, you know. Yeah. And so it's no
0: th- feedback, no instant feedback.
2: No, and you, you don't know how it's going to cut up. And then what is sad about that? Well, for the want of better terms, sad or what's a little bit disappointing is you can spend, I can spend six months doing it, doing, you know, with Guy Pearce on ABC, Jack Irish, or whatever it is, or Beaconsfield, and you you film it for for months. But when it's time to watch it, you're actually sitting at home with your kids and your wife. (laughs) And the you know, kids are distracted. You know, Can I have some chips? Like, What's going on here? Oh, hang on, my phone's ringing. And they're on whatever they're on. So they're not exactly your best audience. And yeah. you've probably told your wife most about this job What's when happened. you come yep. home and they know the script because you've been talking yep. about it. So every now and then, Felice does say, don't tell me anything about it so I can enjoy it. But you sit down with an audience of your own wife and your distracted kids. So that's that's not a – Big moment either. So I guess the one thing with film is you do work incredibly hard on film for a long time. And then the team, unless you're involved in producing it, which sometimes I am, they go away and they turn them into magic. They really do. Yeah, they do. And then there's an opening night where you walk into a cinema and you've not been near the project for a year. And it's like imagine if you kind of kicked a few balls and then had a few tackles and they go away and cut that into a grand final. It's hard to explain but you sit down. You haven't got to play it like that. It was just a collection. It was like watching a showreel. You would experience this as a football when they do a showreel and footy players now see a showreel of their year. Buddy Franklin, yeah. Yeah, would sit there and watch his year that someone's cut together going, well, hang on, that felt exciting. Yeah. Even though he knows what he did and he was there when it happened, when they put them together. So with a film, when you're sitting in an audience and the lights go down and this thing starts up and they've got the best of everything you did over three months jammed into an hour and a half yeah, and they've put music and big you know, crane shots, that's pretty darn exciting. Coloured it. Yeah. It, yep, and fantastic. and then it's a short-lived, short-lived reward. And then after that, you never see it with a crowd again. Yep. Uh, and you don't really watch them again. Like ten years, every now and then I'll I'll come across one of my movies on TV, and they're the only times you literally flick over and it's on, and you go, "Oh, look, here's this." So that's the only time I probably catch a bit of them. But um, it's a short-lived experience. You do months and months and months, mm. um, and so I, I guess I guess it's film.
0: Film, yeah, Harrison. Are we going all right here? We're we're going very well. Happy? We're I, gonna I wrap have up? a question. So, yeah. at
1: Life of Brian, we're, last questions we're, coming up. We're brought to you by Grimleys. Yes, uh, Grimleys are the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne, and they deliver same day to anywhere in Victoria. They are unbelievable, and their big thing is going above and beyond. It's all about service. I'd love to hear I would Shane like
2: myself and Brian to go for a camp. If
1: you came to Grimleys on the
2: border,
0: if you came <laughs> and to rig- Grimleys, if you well, we could I'm do that. Ten
2: Yeah,
0: (laughs) ask for one bolt and one washer. I'm going to take you to Grimley's one day. You're the sort of guy. See, you're a tool man. You're a a construction man. You're like me. You went there. You would go home with a couple of grand's worth of shit off the shelves from Grimley's, I'm telling you. Well,
2: but who doesn't want to have – so I'm that guy that still has uh, a big round bucket that you put all your odd – Bolts
0: and oh, you have that, and you tip it out on a
2: rug. to yeah, a, car- it's it's a carnival thing, I think. Minutes. It is. I got this big round tub, and I keep throwing loose bolts and nuts into it. Yeah, because I don't sort them. And then you're looking for that. You're just looking for for that little two metric washes. six mil. Yeah, twenty five mil yeah. long. Are you, 10 got, mil. are you
1: guys done hijacking my integrated segment? Yet?
2: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're so,
1: Groomleys go above and beyond. Yeah, Shane, in your life or your career, when has someone gone above and beyond for you, or vice versa? When you when have you gone above and beyond for someone else? Shane's always going above and beyond for cherries and stuff. I know that.
2: Oh, well, but so do you I think it comes with it. Um, uh, well, the obvious answer is your parents. Um, but if you ask any parent, they, that's their job. But um, your parents are the go-to when you think about people that just continually go above and beyond. But, again, now that I'm a parent, I would say... Uh, that's part of the job. Um, I tell you, I t- the thing that I observe a lot, and it's it exists in scouting, it, it exists in Lions clubs and footies and netball. The thing I'm constantly surprised by is how many people volunteer to keep a community running. So mm-hmm. not, again, it's obvious in football, but what? scouts, the, all those leaders. You
0: were a sc- You were the chief scout. What I do you still call it? The
2: chief scout of Victoria. Yeah. Chief. Sc- oh, Jesus yeah.
0: Christ, chief scout of Victoria. The Grand Poobah.
2: It is. So it used to be the government. Governor-General Governor's always held that role. I'm the first civilian. So to, you go and stand
0: there with your pocket knife in your little belt and your little thing and, a, a and, the, and the you have now. your tent in the background. <laughs> you, you do that, do you?
2: So I'm, I'm, I'm the, the figurehead of all of it to kind of… Um, Chief Scout. Mm, to remind people um, that, that it's there. Does yeah. it still exist, 100%, Scouts? 100%. Very much so. And, right. and And, it you know, different. it's horses for courses. People that aren't finding themselves, you know, sports not their thing, but they want to go out… Outdoors, I can't think of a better time for.
0: Still dressed in khaki.
2: Yeah, well they do. Well, blue now, and blue? they've and it's far less rigid. They wear a pair of jeans and runners now. It's just right. it's just a shirt, right? And a, and a and a tie right. and a mm. woggle. If everyone wow. wants Must know what that word is. No, but um. <laughs> <laughs> Except you. So, look, I, I'm constantly surprised. What I think about the people that go above and beyond um, are volunteers in organisations. Like here, netball here. tennis. My wife's got – she's part of the tennis club. And I just – the amount of meetings they go to. And then we had to help out with the kids' netball when, when the kids were
0: playing that. Yeah, I watched you play footy the other day. The amount of volunteers at your club at Charlton, there's bloody 50 people doing some sort of job on, their, on this footy day they have.
2: And ha- – None of them are getting paid. None of, none
1: of them ask for anything. anything in return, other Ever. than a smile and a hi, how are you, and just a Nothing. bit of a connection. They're for the all community. just there working so,
2: their guts out on their day off. Day off. Motorsport, any race, and most of the remoting, racing, nearly every. Motor all the flag races, guys, all, they're all all, all marshals of volunteers. Yep. Bathurst, they're all volunteers. Yeah, an event like that, I mean, literally the same with any club. If everyone goes, I just can't be bothered today Doesn't helping happen. other people. I'm going to go and look after myself. They'd all stop. Yep. It doesn't work. It, I, it, the
0: event won't go on. No, I
2: know. I, I know it's different with with the with the Well, in AFL it's different, but with with Baffers, that's that's not the case. Literally, mm. if the volunteers said, "I'm just too tired. I want to stay home today," they couldn't hold the event. They
0: couldn't have the event, no. and that
2: always amazes me. That yeah. when people look around and go, "You know, what is the world coming to? You know, back in my day, blah blah blah," I keep seeing evidence of the fact that there's good people out there. So I think I think a lot of people go above and beyond. And for people that don't do anything, there's sometimes I meet people and you go, "You know, do you do anything?" for a local team or a sporter, you go through a list of everything and realise they're not they're not doing anything for anyone anywhere yep I always, rather than get angry, I always think, what a missed opportunity to meet a good mind. I had a dear old mate who, who we only lost, Craig Bacon, I'll say his name because I miss him. Uh, I lost him a few weeks ago. and Years ago, he's not a car guy, but he, he'd always been so heavily involved in scouting and committees, and uh, and he had a bit of an interest in He said, you, you know, cars, what is it about cars? And I said, look, when you get one, you fall in love. If you've got to tinker, if you've got to keep it going, you'll love it more. That's just how it works. If you restore something, you love it more. Yeah, yeah, so You yeah, get absolutely. a a bit crap, and then you try and make it a little bit great. Rate, you get a bit invested in it. And, uh, and so, and he said, and anyway, next thing out, uh, we got him all the way to a California moat. And I said to him, you should join a car club. Now, he was in finance and he was basically, why should I join a car club? I said, you're going to meet a whole bunch of people with a common interest and it's just going to be about that car. Yeah. They'll be dentists, doctors, they could be anything. But you're all going to bang on about that car. Yep. And you'll meet about once a month and they'll go for a drive somewhere and you'll have a beer or you'll go to the top of a mountain on a, in a California moke and drink a latte and drive home. But they'll all tell you how to restore it. You're going to get a wealth of knowledge for nothing.
0: Yep. And you'll get parts.
2: And that's exactly what he did. And he only he only got to do it over the last few years before we lost him suddenly a couple of weeks ago. But I love that story about Bakes because he eventually said to me, you're right, you know, we have a ball. Yeah. He said they're all so different. Yep. But he, and again, going back to it, he just put himself into an environment where there was, like-minded people, blah, 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 and met this whole new group of friends. I think that's
1: what it's all about. It's about being a part of a community and being involved in something potentially bigger than yourself. It's Mm. it's awesome. Well, Shane, we
0: really appreciate you coming in. I, I feel like we've only touched on a quarter of what you've done. And what you haven't done, what you've, you're so young, you have only halfway through your career, so you've got plenty of stuff to come your way in, in the future. But it's been an amazing career, started very humbly, as you say, as a carney. That's that's yes. an amazing. I never knew that about you, carnies. <laughs> I know another family of carnies, and I laugh when I heard you say carnies because they are very, very different people, strange people. <laughs> um, Agreed. Yeah, you're a carney. So really appreciate you giving us the time coming in here and having a bit of a chat. Thanks a lot.
2: Mate, been been an absolute joy. I uh, I look forward to seeing and hearing more of the life of Brian.
0: <laughs> how do you think we'll go with the? Uh...
2: Oh, we are going to have this chat. Yeah. So, if anyone out there knows anything about copyright, how do you think Brian will go with the <laughs> life of Brian? as a name. Shh, shh. So um, just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed laugh Af bran (laughs) That's how we'll say it. (laughs) All right.
0: Now, Harrison, how do people get involved in the show? If they want to ask a question, uh, you're over the top of all this. I've got no idea. What do we do?
1: Yes, you may be anti-people, but I'm not. We want to hear from you. If you've got something to say, if you've got a question, a suggestion for a guest. I
0: want questions. I don't want people to have something to say. scenario, yeah. Yeah.
1: Slide into our DMs. So we are at lifeofbrian on Instagram, TikTok, We don't have Twitter, but Twitter, whatever. You can subscribe, like us on there, and and slide into our our DMs and give us a, a question. Questions, we'd love to hear from you. See you later.